Well, somehow I managed to pick this topic for myself and decided to take a stab at addressing it. Um, I kind of was involved, majorly involved, in putting together this series and and picking topics. And uh, I have to admit, at this moment, I feel a little like the guy who uh, made the decision to jump into the pool, maybe in early spring, without testing the water first. And you're in midair, and you realize that you're going to hit the pool, and you're just worried that the water might kill you. It's so cold when you hit it. And so I guess we have no other choice, but we're going to be jumping into this tonight, right? We're in midair, over the water, and let's hope it's not a belly flop, all right? Now, when you looked at the, the list early on um, of the, the particular topics we were going to be looking at this fall, Depression may have been an issue that you saw, and you know, with all the other topics on the list, you were, maybe were a little bit surprised. Maybe some of you didn't even think about it, but you were a little surprised to see this topic uh, on the list. And it's something that, as believers, we don't talk about all that often. Um, yet, I think it's something that is increasingly a struggle and increasingly a difficulty for people in our culture at large. But it's also a struggle for people in the church as well. The statistics regarding depression are are shocking in some ways. They indicate that around 15 million adults in our country every year wrestle with some form of depression. uh, And the numbers are going up for even children. And when you talk about adolescents, it's incredibly high. One in eight Uh, adolescents will struggle with with some form of depression. So there's a lot of people who are wrestling through these issues that we're going to talk about tonight. And I don't think that those statistics are only dealing with those who are outside the church. Over the last year or so, I've mentioned to a number of people that, you know, I've had times of just personal difficulty, um, Moments of anxiety, stretches of anxiety, uh, despondency, uh, honestly genuine struggles with hopelessness and sadness happening in my life. And I find that as I mention that to people, uh, that that people tend to open up about those things. And uh, I'll very often hear people who say that they've had persistent struggles in a number of areas. And the persistent darkness that we're going to talk about tonight has descended into their life at some point. Um, And really, this can suck the joy out of life in a hurry when you deal with these things. And so I have no doubt, honestly, tonight that many of you in this room have had incredibly difficult times of depression and of sadness. And we're talking about this tonight because we want to make this easier to talk about within the church. We don't want to make this something that we don't address and we don't deal with. We want to make it a topic that we're able to address and we're able to talk through. We want to relieve suffering. As believers, we're all about relieving suffering for people. And the bigger goal is that we want to help everyone to become ultimately more like Jesus Christ. That's the end goal here. And so there may be people who are struggling mightily with this even tonight. Maybe you even have had a rough afternoon, a rough week this week, a rough month this month. And you may feel that if you mention that to someone, that you're going to get labeled as weak or sinful and told 
in sort of a flippant way that you just need to have joy in the Lord. And that's the response that you're going to get. Well, we're not going to do that tonight, okay? So maybe you can sit back a little bit easier as you listen this evening. I do want to take this topic soberly uh, and seriously. Um, and I want to try to apply what the Bible has to say in a very helpful way. The goal tonight is to use the truth to heal and not use the truth as a club to break already feeble knees that people have. All right? So I've taken the title tonight, The Stubborn Darkness, from a book that probably some of you have read. Uh, and it, it's a good book, a very helpful book. And it has the title, describes depression as the stubborn darkness. And I don't know if you've ever been somewhere, uh, just physically somewhere, where there's a complete and total absence of light. I'm talking about somewhere like a cave, uh, somewhere where there's no artificial light and where, you know, moonlight, the light of the stars can't even penetrate to that point. If you've ever been somewhere like that, pitch black darkness, absolute darkness has something that's unsettling about it. If you've ever been in a cave and turned your headlamp off and just stood there for a minute, it, it's a little bit unsettling to have that experience. It isolates you from the people who are around you and makes you almost feel uh, like you're having an out-of-body experience. It makes you feel disembodied and disoriented as you're standing there. And if you sit there and you remain in that darkness for even a short period of time, there can be a sense of anxiety and even a sense of melancholy that can descend over you just from a, a relatively brief absence of light. And that's why I think this description of depression as a stubborn darkness is appropriate for people who have experienced this in their lives. When you read those words, if you've had times of depression, they probably resonate with you. And even that description of darkness probably resonates with you. It's a disorienting and, and disembodying experience for you to have uh, many times. And so tonight I'd like to keep this image of darkness in front of us. As we talk through this and as we work through this topic, we try to lay out some of what the Bible has to say about this particular topic. So let me give you the outline that we're going to go through tonight, and then we'll, we'll go back and we'll work through this. All right. So basically three main discussion topics this evening, and I'll put them all up here to begin. First of all, our goal is we want to define the darkness. So, so what is depression? What are we talking about this evening when we use this word and when we talk about depression? And then secondly... We're going to diagnose the darkness as best we can, okay? Uh, there's a number of places that depression can come from. There's so many ingredients that go into this particular uh, difficulty, but we're going to just try to address some of the major ones and describe those for you so that you can look at your own life and see some of the instances that this is coming from. And then the last thing we're going to try to do, there certainly is not a silver bullet or a magic charm or a special verse that we can throw out tonight that's going to fix this in your life. But we want to try to defeat the darkness as best we can. What can we do to battle against depression? And I say the word battle because it's an ongoing struggle and an ongoing fight for those who struggle with this. And that's helpful even for those of you who are, who are seeing this topic and you're, you're happy-go-lucky. You have no idea why anyone would ever struggle with something like this. Um, I remember watching a Q&A with John Piper and John MacArthur a few years ago, just totally opposite ends of the spectrum. 
MacArthur doesn't even understand why someone would be depressed, and Piper's like weeping on the stage, you know, totally different personalities, but there are all sorts of people with different wiring in the body of Christ, and so we want to encourage you that don't struggle with this to be able to help those who do struggle at times uh, with this particular darkness and difficulty, all right? So let's go back and let's start with defining the darkness. Before we can adequately address this, we have to understand what we're talking about. So does Scripture mention depression? Does Scripture address this topic? Well, if you grab your copy of Strong's Concordance and look up the word depression, you're going to be most disappointed this evening. You're not going to find that word in there, but as you look through Scripture, you certainly see people in the Bible, characters who seem to be struggling with what we would call depression today. I'll just mention a few of them. Uh, If you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books that Moses wrote, you do see Moses over and over again struggling with despondency, with hopelessness, uh, just having a really difficult time as he's leading the children of Israel. If you were to look in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah seems to be struggling with some form of depression there as she just has an incredibly difficult situation happening happening to her. The one that you've probably, if you've studied this at all, the one you've probably heard most often mentioned is Elijah when he flees from Ahab and Jezebel and he goes into the wilderness and just wishes to die there. Uh, You certainly could make a case that Elijah was struggling uh, with depression or some sort of depression there. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations there. And if you read through Lamentations, it's filled with sadness. And it's sadness over the plight of the people of Israel because of their sinfulness in that case. But if you were to look in there, you would see the author, Jeremiah, and he is sort of personally appropriating the struggles and the sadness of what Israel is going through. Let me just read you a bit from the book of Lamentations to to help you understand uh, that certainly Bible characters did experience what we would call depression. Lamentations 3, verses 1 through 6. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. You can see the sense of hopelessness there. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. And, of course, you can read the rest of Lamentations and uh, and hear more language uh, similar to that throughout the book. There probably are more characters in Scripture that we could find and that we could mention who struggled with sadness and melancholy and depression, as we would call it. But we can't forget to mention the book of Psalms. Psalms is, is very important for this discussion because Psalms catches the whole range of human emotions. And it's a really helpful book for us to be able to identify with the struggles that believers went through and for us to be able to identify with the movement from despair and hopelessness and difficulty to really joy and hope and satisfaction in the Lord. Uh, sometimes you can even see those, that movement in the same psalm. It's as if the person is meditating on God's truth and is moving from despair 
to hope, even in that same, that same psalm. And the psalms describe the difficulty of, of what life is really like under, under the sun for us. So scripture is, is certainly not t- silent on this topic of depression. But as we refer to it today, what are, what are we typically talking about when we talk about depression? In our culture today, what do we mean? What's important to understand when you talk about this, that we're not talking about something that you either have or you don't. Depression doesn't work quite like that. Uh, If you were taking a test for depression, it wouldn't be a true or false test. It would be rate this from 1 to 10. Where are you on the spectrum of having depression? And some people are, are, are less on that spectrum, and some people are quite more on that spectrum. Uh, one author said it goes from, from a bothersome experience to a debilitating experience. I, I, there's tons of lists of symptoms that are normally associated with depression, but I just want to read some of these to you to help you understand more what we're talking about tonight, all right? Here's some of these, uh, these symptoms. Prolonged sadness or unexplained crying spells. Significant changes in appetite and sleep patterns. Irritability, anger, worry, agitation, anxiety, pessimism, indifference, loss of energy, persistent lethargy, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, inability to concentrate, indecisiveness, inability to take pleasure in former interests, things you once enjoyed, you just can't seem to enjoy those anymore, social withdrawal, and then some uh, physical symptoms come from this, unexplained aches and pains, and then Ultimately, it leads some people to recurring thoughts of, of suicide or of death. And of course, again, these, these symptoms appear on a spectrum for people. Uh, most people won't have all of these signs, but some people will have quite a few of them. And the reaction to when someone you love or when you yourself begin to experience some of these symptoms and these signs, the natural reaction is to bring us to our second point here and to begin to say what is going on why is this happening? Uh, you want to begin to put the pieces together and to begin to diagnose what has happened uh, in your life. And the bottom line is, is that depression equals suffering. If you've experienced it, I don't have to tell you that this is not a pleasant experience. And so we want to understand where this comes from and some of the causes that lead to this. All right. So diagnosing the darkness. And this is probably people's biggest concern as they, uh, they begin dealing with depression or, or talk with someone who is dealing with depression. Where did this come from and why am I feeling this way? What has caused this? Now I'm going to list several of the potential causes of depression. But it's important for you to know that it's, it's rarely the case that you can sort of isolate one instance or one cause that leads to depression. Uh, Life is just not that simple most of the time. And yet, you can't isolate one, but it is important to know about these so that if someone that you love is struggling with depression, then you can explore these areas and you can talk through these things and begin to uncover maybe the multitude of struggles and difficulties that are happening. There's probably... Tons more causes, but I'm going to list five here that will hopefully get you thinking down the road uh, of particular causes for depression, all right? First of all, life 
circumstances, life circumstances. One of the things about being in ministry is that Bethany and I will often look at one another and we'll say something like, people have really hard lives. And we genuinely mean that. People have, you all, have really difficult lives sometimes. It's so true. So many people in this room struggle with trials and with circumstances and with difficulties that are incredibly, incredibly trying and taxing on you. It's naive to think that those difficult circumstances won't have an effect on our disposition, that they won't make us sad or won't impact, or even that they shouldn't have an impact on our our disposition at times. Most of the time, they should have an impact on the way we, we view things and the way we see life. Anything from a particularly stressful time at work to the loss of a loved one to a sudden relocation, a job change, any of that can impact our outlook on life. And a lot of times we're not even aware of the life circumstances that are having and how those have impacted the way we see the world, the way we see God, the way we see one another. So we need to be aware of the way those have influenced us. There's a multitude of psalms that you can read that talk about how circumstances influence our disposition and our hope. Uh, Psalm 130, I'll just list some of them for you, and you can go back later and look them up. But Psalm 130, uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 22 is classically about Christ, looks forward to Christ, but in the moment, it's written by David, and it's a struggle that David was having in his life at that time as a type of Christ, looking forward to the innocent suffering of Christ. So it's a very real struggle for David. Psalm 42 would be another psalm that you would want to go to and read through. And then obviously the entire book of Job deals with life circumstances and human suffering and a response to human suffering. So this would be a huge cause, uh, a symptom that, or a cause that can lead to depression here. All right? Next, patterns of thinking. So life circumstances and then patterns of thinking. One author wrote about the connection between life circumstances and the way we think about those life circumstances. He said this, While we often cannot change the providences we are passing through, we can change the way we think about them. So we can have a more accurate, I love that word, an accurate and positive view of our lives, thereby lifting our spirits. And you can see how important it is to Deal with the life circumstances that come into your experience by thinking accurately and biblically about those life circumstances. But we'll get to that later. I wrote here patterns of thinking for a specific reason. One of the significant results of the fall into sin, and we don't often think about this, but one of the significant results of the fall into sin is that we not only think individual wrong thoughts, okay? And that's true. We do. We think wrong thoughts. We, we fail to see the world correctly or biblically. And so we might have one wrong thought here. But because of the fall, now we have entire wrong trajectories of thinking. 
It's like the whole pathway of our thinking has gone awry and has gone down this path, and we're not even aware that it's going down this particular path. These trajectories in our thinking are like, are like paths in the woods. And the more you walk over those paths in the woods, the more worn down they get, and the, the more comfortable it is to walk down that path, and the easier and more natural it becomes to just pick up that path and head down it to get wherever you're going to be going. And very often we're not aware of how we're thinking. We may notice a wrong thought here or there, but we need to go back and consider the whole, the whole pattern of our thinking, the trajectory, the pathways of our thinking as we think about depression and what has led us to a disposition of sadness and of despondency. These deep-seated patterns of thinking can massively influence the way you see the world, the way you get up in the morning, and they can massively determine whether you're a joyful or a depressed person. And that's why Scripture puts such a premium on thinking as it relates to sanctification. It's so important to think right thoughts and to have right pathways of thinking in your life. Third diagnosis here, sin. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this one, but there certainly can be times where depression is caused by sin. You and I were made for fellowship with God and for fellowship with one another. And sin fundamentally distorts both of those relationships and can plunge us into despondency despair, and sadness, and depression. Uh, One of the the most famous psalms that deals with this is Psalm 32. Let me just read you a couple of verses from this, and you can see the connection here between sin and between these these, uh, depressed, despairing thoughts. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then listen when you're not feeling the significance of forgiven sin. Verse 3 of Psalm 32. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You can even see in verses 3 and 4 some of the symptoms we talked about earlier of depression. Strength is dried up, there's groaning, there's physical aches and pains, there's difficulties. All of that happens when sin brings about this state of depression there. Now, of course, you have to be very careful in saying this, because if you have people in, the room, in this room who are struggling with depression, they may make the connection that, oh, I'm struggling with this, therefore, there's some specific sin that I need to root out of my life that's causing this depression. And that's not what we're saying, and that's not always the case with depression. And you could do quite a bit of damage if you assume that because someone's depressed that there's immediately some horrible sin in their life that they just have to uncover and fix and get right. And I don't think Scripture would bear that out either. But the reality is is that sin can lead us to to a state of depression. Fourth cause here, cultural influences. One you probably 
did not expect to see on the list here, cultural influences. Let me explain why I put this on here. I think it's more powerful than we realize. Culture is not a bad thing in and of itself. In fact, I would say culture is a very, very good thing in and of itself. God created us to be cultural people in Genesis chapter 1. But one of the tragic results of the fall is that human cultural endeavors have now been twisted into what we call the world. According to John, 1 John, the world is a parasite on good human activity. And it's opposed to God. The world is in opposition to God. And you cannot love God and love the world. And so the world is something that we, we live in. We live amongst people who are of the world. And the world can shape the way we see life. And a lot of times we can pick up patently ungodly perspectives and habits if we casually immerse ourselves into the world. And I think many, many times these perspectives and habits shape us and plunge us further and further into sadness and depression and despondency. Now, there are so many illustrations of this, but I picked one out to just give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Our culture in America is absolutely infused with uh, capitalism as our economic system. And there's some tremendous benefits to that system. Absolutely are. But that system tends to place a very high premium on efficiency. Everything is driven toward efficiency. If you can make a product better and quicker and cheaper, then do it. And that's what capitalism is all about. And that's a really good thing if you're making cheap toothbrushes. But it's a really bad thing if you're dealing with human relationships and you treat them as if they're of value or to have the most efficient relationship that you can have. It's a problem when that economic system bleeds over into our relationships and we begin dealing with other people as if I only want to relate to you as if there's a value to be gained or if it's an efficient way in which I build this relationship with you. And what that does is it transforms people into capital to be used. And of course, that dehumanizes us and takes one of the most basic aspects of our good human life out of the way. And now we only relate to other people on a value economic system rather than with genuine love and affection. And as we do that, we may not even realize that we're doing that, but it can certainly dehumanize us and bring us to the place of hopelessness and sadness because we lack a good, which is relationships and joy from human interaction. And so that's just one example of the way in which the culture around us can shape us and can mold us and can push us in this direction. There's tons of others that can, can lead you that direction as well. But my last cause here is physical illness or difficulty. Physical illness or difficulty. Depression can certainly be caused by a recent illness, by surgery, by understanding that you have a serious illness, uh, cancer, something like that. 
There can be other bodily difficulties that, that impact having depression or despondency here. And it, it makes sense in our theology. I mean, if the fall impacted all of creation, then the fall has certainly affected our bodies and our minds. Things just don't work properly after the fall. They're bent. They're twisted out of shape. And that certainly can include the physical elements in us that help to maintain a proper emotional state. That's what can happen. I read several uh, parts of several books on depression, and one was uh, a pastor who went through some severe times of depression. And here's what he said about physical illness and difficulty causing this. He said, We are vulnerable not only because of certain outside factors, but because we live under the general curse on creation that came through Adam in the fall. Our bodies are vulnerable to disease. Our hormones malfunction. Our adrenal systems can fail, and chemicals that we take to treat one illness can have bad side effects. Of course, our enemy Satan is involved. He's the accuser of the brethren and will quickly turn these physical issues into spiritual issues as he tempts you to despair. So these are five different causes, and again, there are probably more that can help you to diagnose where depression is coming from in your life. But here's the bottom line with all of these different causes. The bottom line is that no matter what is causing depression for you or someone you love, God is sovereign over each and every one of these causes. He is absolutely in control and he's absolutely good and he knows what he's doing in your life. He's not forgotten you. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. Another pastor, Ligon Duncan, said this. This one's a little long, but I'll read it to you anyway. Some people do not want to think that God is involved in their suffering. It is so painful. They cannot conceive of a good and loving God having anything to do with it. In order to protect the goodness of God, they ironically push him as far away as they can from their suffering. But think about it. If God is removed from suffering, then our painful experiences, which generate some of the most significant moments we have in this life, are outside the reach of our God. That is not very encouraging at all. I want God right in the middle of my suffering. But it's not just a matter of what I want. It's about what the Bible says. God is sovereign even over suffering. And I think that's a really helpful transition to our last main topic of discussion tonight, defeating the darkness. We've tried to define what depression is, and we've tried to say, here's some ways that this comes into our lives, certainly not exhaustive. But tonight we want to try to say, okay, what are some tactics? What are some things we can do to address this in our lives, to put off and to put on? Now, before we get to these different uh, tactics to battle depression, let me just say, a lot of times you can't pinpoint exactly where the depression is coming from. And that's okay. You don't have to know specifically where the suffering and where the depression is coming from. We can't always figure out what has contributed to this, but like we already said, we do know that God's truth And God's goodness are right in the middle 
of the suffering and of the difficulty. And that's important to keep in mind. Another quote here from Ed Welch. Instead of teaching us how to identify the causes of suffering, Scripture directs us to the God who knows all things and is fully trustworthy. In other words, Scripture doesn't give us knowledge so that we will have intellectual mastery of certain events. It gives us knowledge so that we would know and trust God. God, I don't know what you are doing, but you do, and that is enough. Somehow, turning to God and trusting him with the mysteries of suffering is the answer to the problem of suffering. That's really good. Even if you don't know where, you don't know why, you do know at least broadly what you can do in the midst of suffering. And it's to turn to a good and faithful God. And these different uh, ways of defeating depression here are ways that help you, that put some, some legs on turning to God in the midst of this difficulty. So I have six strategies for battling depression or defeating depression here. All right? First of all, and we'll go through these fairly quickly, speak with a, and I gave a list here, and you can add more, a friend, a mentor, a pastor, a spouse, whoever it may be. Depression has a certain stigma about it. It Very often that stigma leads people to isolate themselves. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to deal with other people. And the reality is, is that de- that Christians do get depressed. It does happen to believers. Christians do suffer from panic attacks, from anxiety, from despondency, and from sadness. It's also the reality that the Christians that I know at this church are compassionate, tender, kind-hearted people. And so it's not necessary to fight against this alone. In fact, it's very necessary to fight this with other believers. Depression tends to isolate us and to push us to fight this alone. And that's exactly why we need to, as hard as it is, we need to reach out to others, talk to other people, and speak to others about this struggle. Now, this is a hard topic to talk with about a group of people. And so I know I can speak for myself, for any of the other pastors, for other church leaders here. Any of us would be incredibly happy to sit down and talk through this with anyone who is struggling with it. And I think that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Listen to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then here's what we need to do so that we're not drawn away from God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Talk to someone about it. Secondly, physical activity, right? Told you this was going to try to be practical to put some legs on this, all right? One of the major symptoms of depression is the tendency to be lethargic and to sleep as much as possible. And it may be the most difficult thing in the world, but a biblical understanding of humanity, of the the person, the human person, a biblical understanding would say that your emotions, your thinking is tied to your physical body. 
You're not a soul that happens to inhabit a body. You are an embodied soul. It all goes together and it all influences everything else. It's a big mash that all goes together, all right? And so, in order to fight against this, one of the things that you have to do is you have to have a routine of physical activity that will get you out of the house and get you going and build some good habits into your life. So physical activity is important. Next, medication. And I put a question mark after that, all right? Medication. And I'll explain why in a second. As believers, we want to relieve suffering. We want to do that. It's always one of our goals. And broadly speaking, in the world in which we exist today, in our culture, medicine is a gift to this broken world to promote health and to relieve suffering. And those are Christian ideals that we want to cling to, relieving suffering and promoting health. And I put the question mark next to this here because I know this is a tricky topic. And I also know that in a room filled with 200 people, many of whom have struggled with depression before, general statements on this topic are just not going to be helpful and they're probably going to confuse. There's so many issues at stake when you're dealing with medication and depression that I want to be really careful as I walk through this. And this is one of the reasons that it's so important to one-on-one get with someone and talk this through. But I do want to make one word of caution here as I put this on the screen. Some people that struggle with depression run to medication without considering the other causes and other strategies to address depression. Having a time of physical illness or struggle does not negate the spiritual necessity of renewed mind, of proper functioning emotions, and of putting life circumstances within a biblical perspective. It doesn't negate those things. Now, that doesn't mean if you're currently taking medication to work through this that you're somehow in sin or you're less of a Christian. It only means, and here's the, here's the main point of what I'm trying to say here, that this should never be the only strategy that you employ in battling against depression. Above anything else, as you fight against this, Christ needs to be the center of this fight. He needs to remain the focal point of what we're doing. And so if the focus on medication causes us to lose the focus on Christ and of Him doing a redeeming work in the midst of terrible suffering, if that becomes second to whatever it is that's happening, then we need to put him back in the center as the good creator. I hope that's helpful and not hurtful as we talk that through. Next, serve others. Depression tends to turn us in on ourselves. The struggles with depression are real and they're deep. And I put this serve others here to say anything that we can do to turn our internal gaze away from self and toward others is very, very beneficial. It does us good. Last couple here. Correct patterns of thinking. Now this has everything to do with the cause that we talked about earlier. Those, those pathways of thinking in our lives. And of course, one of the major themes of this series has been to put off and to put on biblical thinking. And as I've been thinking through 
the right way to think recently. I've been describing it to people as biblically renewed thinking is seeing reality as it really is. It's seeing the world correctly. It's seeing reality as God sees reality. In other words, I don't create my own reality and then live life based on that. Instead, I subject my understanding of the world in every way to the scriptures. I don't live on my own sinful thoughts. I don't trust in my own understanding. But in every way, I acknowledge him. And that's what we're talking about here. My thoughts are so influenced by the word of God that I begin to see reality as God sees reality. And that is a process that takes time and effort. One author said this, Christian wisdom is the ability to see the world as God would have us see it. That's what we're going for. That's why you come to church every week, one of the reasons that you come. And look at this. And not only seeing, to the ability to see, we may add the abilities to taste, judge, and act in the world as God would have us taste, judge, and act. This is what the canon, the church's scripture, and the Christian script ultimately provides. That's what the Bible does for us. The ability to make judgments about the true, the good, and the beautiful that are fit in Christ. That's what reading God's Word and immersing yourself in God's Word does for you. It gives you the ability to see what is good and what is true and what is beautiful and shapes your thinking according to that. And this is so necessary when it comes to depression because our view of the world gets twisted and bent out of shape by sadness by melancholy and by despair. Romans 12, 1 and 2 are classic verses on this. Renew your mind. The last tactic for defeating the darkness here is to cultivate hope. Cultivate hope. When you think about depression, almost any of us in life can endure something if we just have hope that the difficulty will end. I mean, you've probably said something before like, I could do anything for 24 hours. I could go through anything for a week or a month even or a semester. I could do anything for a semester. And you can say that if you know that it'll end and if you know that hope is coming. And here's the problem with depression the deepest blow that depression deals to us is to make us think that there will never be any hope, that it won't ever end, that I'm always going to feel like this. Essentially, depression breaks the ability to hope. It's like the very tool that you need to be able to fix the problem has been taken by someone and thrown into the ocean, and you can't access it anymore. But that's exactly why one of the core tactics that we have to use against depression is this. It's to cultivate hope, to fight, and I use that word seriously, to fight for hope. I think a lot of times when we ponder hope or when we think about hope, we tend to think of it as something that you sort of have it or you don't have it. It's almost like 
a bolt of lightning. Either it hits you or it doesn't hit you. And you really have no control over whether you have hope or whether you don't have hope. I was reading uh, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis's little article there on hope. And in that article, he calls hope a theological virtue. And that language is fascinating. We don't use the language of virtue very often anymore. But what is a virtue? A virtue is this. It's an excellency of character, habit, or disposition of character that helps us live well as human beings. It's something that becomes normal and natural to us. And Lewis calls hope a theological virtue. Think of virtue like this. In the wintertime, if it snows here, it snows very much, one of the things that we enjoy doing is to go sledding. We just bought a sled at Target the other day because you can't buy sleds here once it snows. So we went ahead and bought one. So now we're ready. When you take your sled out and you find a good hill to go down, the very first time that you go down that hill, it's, it's tough sledding, right? It's tough going. It's hard to get the sled even all the way down the hill. But you work at it, you push your arms maybe a little bit on the sides, and you try to get as far as you can down the hill, and then you take the sled back up, you go to the top, you sit in that track again, and maybe this time you go a little bit further down the hill. Well, if you keep doing that time and time again, eventually you'll have a really nice track that goes down the hill and probably takes you all the way out onto the flat part below the hill. Now, what I've just described to you is virtue or vice formation in your life. That's how this works. As you do something time and time again, as you make decisions, those decisions begin to compound themselves and they create patterns and virtues or vices in in your life. The reality is, is that today you and I are building character sled paths all over our lives that are either vice paths or virtue paths. And the reason I think C.S. Lewis calls hope a theological virtue is because this is something that you have to cultivate over time. Hope is a disposition that expects what is good to come as Christ returns, and it looks forward to that, but that's not something that we have naturally. That's something that we have to build into our lives. And as you pray, and as you come to church, listen to the Revelation series, and as you read your Bible, you build that hope into your life, and you build that pattern, that sled track of hope that can carry you through these difficult times of depression. And that's what we're talking about here as hope, as a theological virtue. Now, the last thing I want to do tonight to kind of end this up is I want to read you a couple of paragraphs. I know we're a bit over here tonight. Just give me a couple more minutes. I want to read you a couple of paragraphs from a pastor who has struggled greatly with depression. And he wrote about it, and it's very, very helpful to us. And the way he views depression and anxiety is as something that God works into his life and works weakness.